Hello, Grace Griffins, back with you today for another episode of Padea. Today we will be discussing what is the trivium. Before we get into our discussion about what the trivium is, it's important to note, first and foremost, we as a classical Christian school are Christian. It is an unfortunate state of affairs that I have to start the conversation that way because we live in a world right now that even classical Christian schools, we find, are taking the Christian out of their name. So today's episode is on our classical methodology, but first and foremost, everything is subservient to the fact that we are a Christian school. We're unapologetically so. We believe that uh, for education to properly be done, it has to rest on the promises of God, uh, the change that happens generationally, and we want to see the students be raised and trained in righteousness, first and foremost. Anything that comes alongside that supplements our ultimate goal, which is to raise godly Christian young men and women. And if at any point uh, something tries to usurp that role, if something tries to, to be raised above our Christian principles, then we no longer are effective as a school. We are living at a time right now that we have to be completely sold out in every way to these principles and and fight for them to stand up for what we believe in to stand up for the type of education that we we believe is commanded in scripture and we must absolutely give no quarter regarding our christian principles so with that being said what is the trivium well so this can be dated back all the way to ancient greece uh it can be uh, it's talked about in plato's dialogues uh, but essentially, the word is simple. It's a combination of the word tria, meaning three, and wea, meaning roads. So basically, the place where three roads meet. It is a part of what is known as the seven liberal arts, and those seven liberal arts are the trivium and the quadrivium. Without getting too much in the weeds, I'll just briefly go over what those are comprised of, the seven liberal arts. First, the trivium grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Then the quadrivium, which is comprised of arithmetic or numbers as abstract concepts, that sort of thing. Geometry, numbers in space. Music, uh, so numbers con uh, considering uh, numbers in time. And astronomy, numbers in space and time. So looking at the medieval ages where they were uh, teaching the, the liberal arts, these would um, be combined to impart to the student what a true liberal arts education is. But in this episode, we'll be focusing on what the trivium is, the grammar, logic, and rhetoric stages. And so when it comes to the grammar, logic, and rhetoric, we take what we have learned from history concerning the trivium, but also we hold closely to the Sayers method. And I'd like to just introduce who that is. Uh, this uh, document that she, she wrote, was first published in 1948, and the title is The Lost Tools of Learning by Dorothy L. Sayers. In another episode, I will read this um, article in its entirety and then post it so that you can listen to it. But here at Grace, we are completely of the Sayers method. So what we understand from the grammar, the logic, and the rhetoric is in the grammar stage, which is um, roughly between the ages of first grade to sixth grade, we see that the students have a tremendous capacity to memorize. They love singing, chanting, catechism, and that sort of thing. But our goal is simple in this stage. We want to give them the basic facts and rules of every discipline. So in mathematics, that is the, their math facts. 
add, subtract, multiply, and divide. In grammar, that is, what is a noun? What is a verb? What is the passive voice? What is a predicate adjective? All of these things that we were never taught in the government school and had to learn when we started teaching here at the school, if you're anything like me. In history and Bible, we want the students to know um, important names, dates, places, events, and in geography, we want uh, them to know where these things are located on a globe or on a map. We teach a timeline here at the school. We want them to, to see how God has been working throughout history and how he has been faithful to, uh, to his people, to the church. So every discipline has its basic facts and rules, no matter what it is, and that's where we begin. With the logic stage, as the students get older, 7th uh, to 8th grade, um, they start to develop the, this capacity to argue as they begin to process the world around them. And we want to give them a, a proper structure, a proper framework on how to process those things. So they, they begin to learn logic, formal logic and informal logical fallacies. So, for example, this last year, uh, being an election year, the students would be assigned to watch the debate or something like that and listen to the arguments that are being given and notice that, you know, hey, this guy attacked this other guy's character. He didn't kind of deal with the problem at hand, and we want to teach them the language, how to process that. So that's an ad hominem fallacy when you attack someone's character instead of dealing with the argument at hand. Or someone makes a comment and say, says, um, explain why you did this. And the person, instead of dealing with that, says, well, you did the same thing. That's a tu quoque fallacy. So giving them the tools to examine and understand arguments so that they can um, argue persuasively, ultimately for the purpose of sharing their faith and engaging the culture. Then into the rhetoric stage, we want to see the students be able to express themselves well uh, in a way that is eloquent, in a way that is persuasive. So writing becomes a strong emphasis here. This is why to graduate from Grace or Classical Christian Education schools in the ACCS, the students must write and defend a thesis statement in their rhetoric classes in 11th and 12th grade. But ultimately, these three stages are a way that we try to achieve our primary goal, and that is uh, the Great Commission. As we teach the students to love learning, to know how to think, and to do so in a way that honors and glorifies Christ. But we do not primarily see the trivium as something that is just simply curricular. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, in her article, which I'll read a portion of, connects these uh, three disciplines with three stages of how God has created the student to learn. So in the grammar stage, we believe that we want to teach to the grain of how God has created the student to learn in this particular age group. So we see that the students actually have joy as they learn these things. However, if we were to try to learn a set of facts and rules um, and do so in a way that is repetitious, it wouldn't be exactly fun for us as adults. But we find that the students respond very well to this, and we believe that God has created them in such a way. Likewise, in the logic stage, the students are already developing an argumentative bent, and we want to come alongside that because we believe that's the way God has created them to be. Dorothy Sayers, in her article, calls, this, uh, calls these three stages the pole parrot for the grammar stage, the pert for the logic stage, and the poetic for the rhetoric stage. 
She begins by saying the pole parrot stage is the one in which learning by heart is easy and on the whole pleasurable, whereas reasoning is difficult and on the whole little relished. She continues and says, at this age, one readily memorizes the shapes and appearances of things. One likes to recite the number plates of cars. One rejoices in the chanting of rhymes and the rumble and thunder of unintelligible polysyllables. One enjoys the mere accumulation of things. She says, the pert age, which follows upon this and naturally overlaps uh, it to some extent, is only too familiar to all who have to do with children. It is characterized by contradicting, answering back, likening to, catch people out, especially one's elders, and the propounding of conundrums, especially the kind with a nasty verbal catch in them. Its nuanced value is extremely high. It usually sets in about the lower fourth. The poetic age, however, is popularly known as the difficult age. It is self-centered, it yearns to express itself, it rather specializes in being misunderstood, it is restless and tries to achieve independence, and with good luck and good guidance, it should show the beginnings of cre uh, creativeness, a reaching out towards a synthesis of what it already knows, and a deliberate eagerness to know and do some one thing in preference to all others. Now it seems to me that the layout of the Trivian adapts itself with a singular appropriateness to these three ages, grammar to the pole parrot, dialectic or logic to the pert, and rhetoric to the poetic age. So with that, this is a basic overview of how we as a school understand the Trivium, understand how it connects with how God created us in the image of God, and how the student has a natural bent for learning. In everything that we do, we want to try to supplement and support where they are uh, in whatever stage they are. At the same time, in these three stages, grammar teachers have to constantly remember and know where the education is going through the logic and the rhetoric stage. Likewise, the logic and rhetoric um, stage teachers have to look back and make sure that they're continuing to bolster up what they have learned in the, the grammar stage. But even in the grammar classroom, there is an aspect of the logic and rhetoric stage in everything that we do. Because we understand that education is always going somewhere, we must teach in a way that emphasizes the grammar stage of the student with the logic and rhetoric stage in mind. So an example of that is as we're teaching about Alfred the Great and how he searched the world for Latin scholars so that he could translate the scriptures into Anglo-Saxon for the common people, and may or may not have began the Reformation 500 years before Martin Luther. We want the students to know the facts surrounding these events and the locations of all those things, but also grant the student the opportunity to make comparisons. How did Alfred the Great do these things that were similar to Martin Luther in uh, the 1500s? And teaching the facts and the rules, but also teaching the students early on the ability to compare and contrast, which is more of a logic stage discipline. This is how we honor the idea that, yes, they are in the grammar stage, but we're teaching with the logic and the rhetoric stage in mind. Likewise, as the students are learning to argue and learning formal and informal logical fallacies in the seventh and eighth grade, and as they're reading literature, we want to draw attention to the basic facts, rules, geography, and whatever else is comprised in these, these books they're reading or in the arguments that they're analyzing. 
So teaching in a way that re-emphasizes where they were in the grammar stage with a special emphasis on where they're at in the logic stage. So the teacher has a high task before them. It is a very difficult task at times. And, and while having all of this in mind, connecting everything back to a Christian worldview. So please be praying for your teachers. It can get pretty tricky. But with that, I will leave you. Thank you so much for your time.